When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome to the Soccer Hub Podcast. My name is Gio Garcia, and today's Tuesday, August 18th. And today we're doing again, once again, with LA Times uh, soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Kevin, how are you doing? All right, we're five days away from the El Tráfico Sin Tráfico. El Tráfico Sin Tráfico. I like that. I like what you did. Well, uh, there'll, very be no witty. there'll be no traffic on the freeway. We know there'll be nobody in the stadium, so there'll be no traffic, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let me have how do you do you like the name or do you not like the name? I don't I don't like the name. I, I don't have a better one, but I really don't like the name. I mean the, the if you remember back to when Chivas USA was still here and they played the Galaxy and they tried to call that a classical, you can't just you know, I think the nickname has to be uh has to evolve or has to be uh organic. It can't be forced. Um, and, and just putting L in front of everything, and, you know, everything related to soccer because of the Classico in Spain, everything has to be L something rather. Um, I'm not sure what I would mm-hmm. call it. Um, I, I don't know what it would be, but uh, El Tráfico, I guess, is a good placeholder. Probably going to be difficult to get that out of there, but I, I don't know. I, I really don't like it. I don't think it captures the rivalry either. Um, I was having a fight with one of my editors who, who uh, I, I actually said I thought it was the best rivalry in Southern California sports. And he said, "No, Southern California professional sports, because USC UCLA is bigger." I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think this rivalry already is more passionate than the USC UCLA football rivalry. And, and, you know, just just the way the fans uh, act around it. Not, and I'm not even talking about the players. I think it's the biggest rivalry in Southern California already, and it's only three seasons. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would double down and agree with you on that. Um, I mean, I've been to USC I'm going back to the nickname. I recall Bob Bradley, I think last year, he said he was trying to get, I don't know what he was trying to get, but he, he had mentioned that he preferred La Classical, like LA Classical. And I was yeah. like, okay, I see. Well, see, I, I, like I, that a little bit, I, but... I get that because I grew up in a town that is grammatically incorrect in Spanish. Uh, La Classical would, of course, be wrong because the classico is masculine so it should have a masculine article i grew up in la puente and it's not supposed to be la puente as you know it's supposed to be el puente um the bridge but um the the people who founded the town you know over 100 years ago liked like bob bradley liked the la thought it sounded better so even though it was grammatically wrong in spanish they called it la puente so i i could kind of get behind that I, i i see the where the la is coming from and i'm used to to uh Improper Spanish, so that that would that might work. Yeah, uh, you're used to. I'm used to speaking improper Spanish, but I mean, we could refer, refer to it as uh, the LA Derby as well. Um, but like, yeah, as for right now, I guess that, like you said, that's a good uh, placeholder um, for El Tráfico for this Saturday. Obviously, we mentioned no fans being there. There's a lot going on with both clubs. Obviously, on the LAFC side, they they ended up falling short, uh, losing to Orlando City. And the penalties, and we saw how far 
Orlando City got. They got to the final. And on the other hand, LA Galaxy are still currently winless in 2020. But they have made some moves, some rumors um, on a few things. Um, what can you tell us so far on Yoni Gonzalez? Well, it, it looks like that deal is is not done yet, but it's very, very close. I talked to two people in the front office with the Galaxy, very high in the front office, who would definitely know. The first one told me that they were making progress. The second person said it was 99% done, um, hadn't been finished yet, but what the, this person was very, very confident that the deal would get done. Now, we know he's a right winger. Um, he's going to take the Alexander Katai spot. His job would be to provide service to uh to Chicharito. The other thing that he's going to do, um, you know, if when he starts to play is I think he's going to draw some attention. His job is going to be draw some of the attention away from Pavone on the left side. I think uh, opposing teams have really been able to to uh, just focus all their attention on the left side on, on taking Pavone out of the game. And, the, and, and they need someone on the right side, um, you know, that's going to interest opponents as well and, and really make that front three uh, more dangerous. Some problems, though. People might be looking at this as a quick fix, uh, as something that's going to have immediate impact. We don't know where he is now, but assuming he is not in the country yet, when he gets here, I am assuming he's going to have to go through a 14-day quarantine period before he can start training with the team. If that's true, 14-day quarantine before he can start training, probably another two weeks. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was gonna say I was I wasn't gonna I wasn't expecting him to see uh against LAFC or LA Galaxy um in this match or maybe even like you said next Wednesday next Wednesday when they play their first match at home against Insounders. So it's gonna be very interesting to see. We might not see him until after phase one. Because again, if he has to if he's not in the country yet, let's say he gets in there let's just say Saturday, uh, and he has to go two weeks, that would be that would be at the end of the of the first six game first phase of the MLS return. Mm-hmm. Then he needs a couple of weeks in training. We may not, we may not see him for a month unless he's already in the country. And it's, it's possible, you know, with some of these other signings that the galaxy had made uh, last year, some of the players were actually already in the country before the signing was announced. He also needs to get his transfer certificate. He needs to get his visa. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen. And with this really crowded MLS schedule, you know, they're going to play 18 games in 11 weeks. Um, Mm-hmm. There's not, there's no time to waste. They need to get him here and get him here quickly. But I'm just not sure that he's gonna. He may not even be available for half the rest of the season. Mm, yeah, that's very interesting uh, on the timing on that and everything that you know that comes with uh, obviously the current situations with COVID. Um, what do you think so far about the signing that they went? With? I believe he's like 26 years, 25, 26 years old. They went with someone uh, a little bit younger uh, for the for the winger position opposed to someone older there's been uh, some rumors around there what what do you what do you what do you what do you think about him do you think galaxy's using uh potentially yoni gonzalez for the future or is this something that they may be like a one one two year trial period for him no i i think they're looking to this as the future he, my understanding is it's it's an uh loan with an option to buy uh i've heard conflicting reports on him uh his highlight uh his highlight reel looks pretty good, but that's a highlight reel, so it's supposed to look good. Uh, I've heard other people, you know, he was at uh, Benfica, then he played in, in Brazil. Um, he's play, He's from Colombia. He's played in a lot of different places. People have mentioned to me that one of the reasons he moves around a lot is because the teams that he plays for just don't really think that he fits into their system and that he's sort of a, a player they need to keep. 
Uh, other people say he moves around a lot because, no, um, you know, he does fit into t- uh, team's plan. So it depends on who you're listening to, what team you're looking at. His history does uh, raise some questions, though. Why has he not been able to stick in one place? Why has he not made himself valuable? And so you look at yeah. how is that going to work with the Galaxy? It, it, it would seem to me that he would not be a guy that you'd want to make a long-term agreement with if he moves around a lot. Um, they don't have a DP spot open. But, you know, you bring up a good point point the 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 uh is he a guy for now or a guy for the future another place he's been rumored to be looking at is in is gonzalo Iguain from uh italy mm-hmm. he has another year left on his yep. contract and there's been a you know possibility of him coming here uh, on loan as well he's a guy in his, his mid to late 30s totally different situation i think uh, guillermo barrascoloto is under a lot of pressure this is the worst start in franchise history they have two points through five games he needs to turn that around, and so he needs to do that immediately. Um, so a guy like Iguain might help if you put him up front with Chicharito. That might make a difference. Um, whereas Gonzalez is a guy that's probably going to take a little bit more time to have an impact. So I think you can see the Galaxy looking now and saying, uh, are we going to try to make a stand this year? Are we going to try to to win this year? Or are we going to start building for the future? And it's a, it's a difficult decision because – as we said, even if you got Gonzalo Iguain, if you signed him today, he might not be available for another couple of weeks because of COVID and, and international transfer certificates and everything else. So, you know, it, it 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 almost may be too late for this season, especially if you look at the six games the Galaxy will play uh, in this first phase. They have LAFC twice. They have Portland at Portland. Mm-hmm. They have San Jose home and away, and they have Seattle at home. You know, you can make a case that they may not win any of those games. Um, and what do you do then? Then you all of a sudden you sign Gonzalo Higuain and he comes in and you're winless after after 11 games. How much is he going to help you? Yeah, and I like the, the the take and the look that you're seeing this in this first six games because if, if they don't – if they lose – let's go to your point. They lose these six games, this season's pretty much over for them. And it really does wouldn't make sense to get Gonzalo Higuain and spend all that money to get those type of players, right? Those those high quality players when realistically you might not have a shot for the long term this season. And I know that's something maybe LA Galaxy fans don't want to hear. But you said we look at the schedule. Obviously, this Saturday LAFC they play LAFC, then Wednesday at home, and they play San Jose next Saturday. They play Portland. They play uh, LAFC at home, and then they play San Jose. Well, let's that look is at that a tough sch- schedule. We saw what San Jose. Go ahead. I was going to say, let's look at that schedule for a minute. Why do, does the Galaxy get stuck with this schedule? It's scheduled because of COVID-19. Um, the first phase, mm-hmm. and remember, there's 18 games left. They're broken into three phases. The first phase, all the games are regional. The reason they're regional is because uh, MLS does not want anyone, any team staying overnight because of COVID. So they will fly to a city to play a road game and come back the day. Because of that, they can't play Cincinnati. They can't play Inter-Miami. They can't play any of those teams. They have to play the local teams. Well, where is the Galaxy located? They're located in the same city with LAFC, the, the, the reigning Supporter Shield winner, coming off the best season in MLS history. They're undefeated. Uh, San Jose, um, they were defeated in, in group play at the MLS's back tournament, made it to the knockout rounds. They're having a really good season. Portland. Uh, they're the they won the MLS's back. That's a team the Galaxy has mm-hmm. to play, and then they play Seattle, 
who are the reigning MLS Cup champions. I mean, I can't imagine being in a tougher regional. And then you're going to have other teams like, um, you know, Columbus gets to play Cincinnati. They get to play. Uh, they have a much easier schedule. Um, FC Dallas gets to play Houston several times. They're going to play Nashville three times. The Galaxy, I mean, it, it, it everything seems to be breaking bad for them. You know, it just doesn't – this is the the worst schedule I think that they could have for this six game phase. And why they're trying to get people in on transfer is one thing, but we're not really sure that uh, that uh, Jonathan Dos Santos and Chicharito will be available for the first game. We know that they've started training, but Jonathan at least is, or Chicharito at least I believe is training off to the side. I think Jonathan maybe as well. They're both coming back from injury. They might not be ready for this first game, and I, it's uncertain how many of the six games they'll be ready for. If they can't play against LAFC, remember this is a team that beat the Galaxy six to two in Orlando, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to get Carlos Vela back. So they won six to two, and they're going to be better. And the Galaxy may have the same players. Yeah, that that is one very interesting thing to just to see if, like, right if you were the front office for LA Galaxy. Obviously, you want to improve this team, but if you don't drastically say win, uh, it doesn't look like they'll be able to win out or you know these next six games because of who they're facing in the in the in the matchup that they have. Do you start to look towards next year then? Like, is that is that where like I don't want to get ahead of myself, but obviously, if Chicharito is not available, if Jonah dos Santos is not available for this first game, what to me is like when are these guys going to be healthy? Or do you start at this point, start looking towards next year if, if those guys aren't healthy for your team this year and you, you start to build for next year? You, you're, you're either, say, a half a season in already, start looking next year. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think that's something to point out potentially. Well, they're in a difficult spot. And the reason I say that is because they don't have any DP spots available. The great thing – well, not the great thing. I mean, one advantage, I suppose, of the COVID – uh, situation is the transfer window is huge this year. It opened last week mm-hmm. and it will be open until so October 22nd. Yeah. And there is a feeling that the transfer market may be soft and, and, and that it may be, you may be able to get a good player for a little amount of money. Uh, certainly not like it's been in the past couple of years. So if you're the galaxy, you might look and say, this might be an opportunity for us to go out and get somebody thinking ahead to next season. Uh, we know Pavone probably won't be back. He'll probably be too expensive to bring back. Jonah, mm-hmm. another DP, is signed, and Chicharito is signed. So you have one DP spot open going forward, but it's not open yet. So I think they do look forward. I think they, they look forward and say, look, Pavone's probably gone. How do we replace him? What else do we need? I think they need a winger. Uh, maybe that Gonzalez answers that. They, they definitely need at least one winger. Um who comes back after that? You know, does Sasha, uh, Sasha Kleinston come back? They they think they need some help on the back line, maybe a goalkeeper. I, I think you do both. I think obviously you don't give up on this season, especially not if you're Guillermo, because, um, you know, mm-hmm. if, if things continue to go south, there may not be a next season for him. But if you're Dennis, yeah. you've already said, Dennis DeClosa has said this is a three-year rebuilding period. This is year two. That means he said that next year that they're going to be competitive – so I think you start to have to look forward to next year and, and start to try to fill some of those holes. But at the same token, I don't think you can give up on this season as bad as it looks right now. Now, they may they may do some reevaluation in mid-September after these six games if, in fact, the Galaxy come out with a couple of draws but no wins. You know, maybe at that point you reevaluate. But I, I think it's a different situation for Guillermo because I do think his job is on the line. 
Yeah, and I, I it's tough to say, but yeah, just the way they've been performing, and you know, just the way obviously they're performing in the tournament, and obviously, you know, we go, go into the last matchup against LAFC. They they lost sixty two, and he 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 came out and said that he thought his players gave up. You know, they quit. They pretty much quit. In his words, you know, he 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 quit, and that you never necessarily hear that from a coach. You kind of just. Yeah, they kind of keep that when it just might have been frustration, but I also do. I would also would agree with you. I feel like if these next six games aren't a positive result, whether they get a win or they whatever happens, I think you do start to potentially, if you're the Galaxy, you do start to look towards next year and you do start to look at is Guillermo Scaloto the coach for the future for next season? You know, obviously, you know, he's brought in some players at this point, it has not worked out. Granted, there's a lot of things that are obviously COVID happened this year, but I would also say, you know, you did sign Chicharito, you did sign a few players, and you ha- and I think the thing that adds more pressure, the team on the other side of town, which is LAFC, they're producing, they're winning, right? Obviously, we'll get more to them, but they're having more of a successful um, season the last few years, and if you're the LA Galaxy and you're their fans, you've been frustrated for a number of years, and if I feel like if Guillermo Scaloto doesn't or the team isn't be able to improve within these next Sims game or show some type of life, I think he's definitely going to be on the hot seat. And I don't want to blame everything on him, but there, there I mean, just the, just the body language and the stuff, I think it comes to a point that if it doesn't get turned around, he's going to lose that locker room and this team is not, is not going to respond, not going to listen to him. And then that's, it's just going to start going downhill from there. I wonder, I kind of wonder if, where he is in the locker room, because as you mentioned, he, he, he talked in Orlando about how the team had quit. And he was frustrated when he first mentioned that, that he'd never seen a, the team quit like that before. And, but here's the thing, he was frustrated when he said that. And I get that. And, and, and after a game, you can maybe sort of let a coach blow off a little bit of steam, but he came back a couple of days later and reiterated the same charge. I've never seen these guys quit. So he had two days to cool down came back and said that again. None of his players backed him up on that. None of the players said, yes, we did quit. Um, they had you yeah. know, various kind of explanations and excuses. But So Guillermo's the one saying they quit. And, and I wonder, too, whether that's Guillermo trying to say, it's not me. I'm doing a good job. My players just aren't following through. Um, Guillermo's got, it seems to me, Guillermo got the players that he wanted. He wanted Insua. He wanted uh, people, Gonzalez, especially. He's got most of the players that, you know, he wanted Pavone. He's got the play. He asked for players. He got the players he wanted. And now it's up to him to make them win. So, yeah, I I do kind of think that, that, uh, that he needs to make this work and that if it doesn't, he's the guy on the hot seat. Um, I was not impressed with some of his tactical moves in Orlando, though. I mean, with, with the heat and the humidity and his his team clearly lagging. Yeah. Um, you, you know, he was the one coach on the sidelines that didn't make – he had five substitutions he could have made and didn't make a, any of his substitutions until most of the games were out of hand. And, that, and that's, that's the biggest criticism that I have of him and that uh, I feel like other people – have of him like you see the other teams are you know subbing. I'm not saying you have to replicate what we're doing, but you're you're in a human environment. Um, these your players haven't played in like about four months. You have up to five subs. Um, obviously, you know you want you want to have your best players out there, but it comes to a point that they're going to be gas, and they're saying that they're gas. I also had a couple of players say that it was that wasn't the reason why they lost, but I feel like. 
to me, it's like if you have the option to bring in those reinforce, reinforcements and, you know, like uh, Cameron Dunbar, he played really well in his first game and then we never saw him. And then it just, to me, like we don't, I, when I see the other Galaxy, I don't know what they're, what necessarily they're, what type of soccer they're playing in. What 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 type of style? Obviously, with LAFC, you know it's a four four, it's a four three three, and you, you know what to expect with the LA Galaxy. You don't really know what to expect, and I think that that is the biggest criticism, and that's where I see like, okay, you don't know what to expect. Do his do his own players even know what to expect? I understand Jonah Dos Santos was in there. I understand Chicharito was in there, but great coaches and great teams are able to overcome those things. And right now, the LA Galaxy are not a great team; they're just an average team. And, but this is the this is the Valley Galaxy are the Lakers of the MLS, right? They they won the five championships and stuff like that. But they, they at the last few years and this year they have not lived up to that. And I think it definitely comes up to Guillermo Scudotto is going to get a lot of that. But it just comes down to what you see and you know him not using the subs when he's had the opportunity. And obviously I'm not here to tell him like you should have used the subs and stuff like that. But it, it just like you said tactically it doesn't look good on the field. Well, one of the things that with Guillermo, it seems to me that the Galaxy come out of the locker room to start the game, and they have a game plan. Clearly, they've done their homework. They've scouted the other team. They know how they want to attack. But they come out of the locker room, and they play that way. And if it doesn't work, or if there needs to be tactical changes, if the game's starting to get away from them, if you're dealing with the heat and humidity, whatever, you see other coaches make substitutions or make tactical changes at halftime. I thought Ziggy Schmidt, when he was here, for all of the faults the Galaxy had under Ziggy Schmidt, and there were many, I thought he was very good at making tactical changes in the second half. He would change the way they played, and the game would change. You see other coaches the other day, you know, uh, Red Bull Leipzig put uh, Tyler Adams on the field. He scores the winning goal just a couple minutes after coming on. Um, I don't see Guillermo having the ability to do that. Uh, You know, he must have done it in Boca Juniors because he was very successful. But I just don't see him able to make in-game changes that can change the way the Galaxy is playing. And whether that's a lack of players, you know, whether he doesn't have the personnel. Uh, he did bring Efrain Alvarez on uh, for one game in Orlando, and that seemed to help a little bit. That brought a little bit of a spark. But as you mentioned, Cameron mm-hmm. Dunbar, uh, you know, played great in that first game, and we really didn't see him again. Um, just the, the game-altering changes that good managers make, I, I don't see the Galaxy having the ability to do that this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, we definitely hit up on LA Galaxy, so I want, I want to switch things over to LAFC. Um Obviously, we saw we saw uh, Dio. He he him. They decided to terminate the contract, um, which to me was surprising. Um, but at the same time of what happened, and maybe you can inform us. I know it was like a family uh, situation. Uh, maybe you could elaborate a little bit more on it. But to me, I really thought Dio could have helped LAFC in the tournament go a lot further than they did because BWP. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips wasn't capable of playing a full 90 minutes, and for him, for Dio not be able not to be able to be in the tournament, I thought, okay, if he was a great player, he's able to score, he can perform, but he's also injured, and I just felt that he at times he was more injured than what he was performing, and I just felt like I don't know how much value he really brought to LOC once Carlos Vela got back, and the way Bradley Wright Phillips was performing in that tournament. So I don't know if that had to do with his decision or not, but to me, long term, I don't, I don't, I didn't see Dio being there um, just just based on the performance of Bradley Wright Phillips and what he did in this tournament. Um, and then 
maybe you can add on to a little bit more on uh, his family situation and the reason he decided to terminate the, the his contract with LAFC, obviously one of the greatest teams in MLS so far. Well, the people around LAFC said they were not surprised by by this, that they saw this coming a long ways off. I mean, Dio made about a million dollars last season, and I'm sure his contract this season was probably even a little bit more. Um, but if you go back to last season, if you remember last September, Dio entered the league substance abuse and mental health uh, um, program, um, you know, left the team in September. That was for a family issue as well. There were no, there was no substance abuse or, or anything else. He, he needed to deal with a family issue that was, uh, you know, the, really bothering him and he had to go off and, de- and deal with that. So he missed like the last month and a half of the regular season. He came back, played in the playoffs, scored goals off the bench in two games. Um, didn't play a lot of minutes, but did, did was effective. Then this season, he got hurt in a preseason. He wound up only playing 16 minutes. And remember, we had the two was it two Champions League games. We had the two regular season games before the pandemic. Then there were the three games, or well, actually, uh, LAFC played five games back in Orlando. He was only there for a couple. He played only 16 minutes this season. Um, he had already talked to Bob Bradley about some of his family concerns. His family was back in Norway. His mother works at the biggest hospital in Oslo. She is on the front lines of the uh, COVID pandemic, treating patients, COVID patients. He was very worried about her. Um, so, you know, the LAFC knew all these things were going on. And I and, and their feeling was that, that Dio tried very hard to come back from the foot injury when he went on the field in Orlando and could only play 16 minutes because the foot bothered him again. Uh, he did a lot of soul searching, left the team immediately, if you remember, came right back to L.A. to have the foot looked at. But mm-hmm. yeah. during that time, he was thinking, look, I'm no good to the team here. I can't play. I can't perform. Um, my family is back in Norway dealing with all this stuff. I I would be a much bigger help to society, to the, the world in general, to go take care of my family than to stay here and not play because I'm injured. So that was the decision that he made, and the, the team allowed him out of his contract, allowed him to go back. Now, how does it affect LAFC? Well, we assume that Carlos Bella is going to play now in, in the MLS uh, regular season. D- don't know that for a fact, but there is no opt-out on the table. Uh, there's st- still being negotiated. There is no apparently no opt-out that would allow him not to play and still get paid. There was for the tournament in Orlando. So we're assuming that Carlos Bella is going to come back and then your, you know, your front three would be Vela, Brian Rodriguez, and Diego Rossi, uh, with Bradley Wright Phillips coming off the bench. That's pretty solid. If there's an injury, if there's, uh, you know, again we have um, uh, 18 games in 11 weeks. That's going to be tough. There's not much on the bench. Uh, Bob Bradley does not have a true forward with more than 12 games of MLS experience on his bench. You can move Latif Blessing up, but then that leaves your uh, midfield a little bit. Uh, um, exposed. So, you know, I, I would think that LAFC would probably try to find at least a short-term solution. I think that they need a little more depth uh, up front, uh, and it, it just doesn't exist there. Now, Bradley Red Phillips played great in Orlando, but if you mentioned, you, you know, he's in his mid-30s. He's coming off a couple of injuries. How how much longer is he going to be able to, uh, to, you know, to play 60, 65, 70 minutes a game? Yeah, and, I, and I'm glad you you cleared that up with Dio. I think he did start to see, obviously, him being injured and potentially not being an asset for the team. Um, just quickly, I just want to give a shout-out to Ronnie, who's uh, watching on Twitter. He he says, if Galaxy go down this year, they better go down fighting. Um, and then uh, Sean 
Alvarez says, mentions his friend. He wants his friends uh, to listen to what we got uh, saying. But onto onto your onto your point, I, I obviously Bradley Wright Phillips is gonna is gonna come off the bench uh, with. Uh, we're assuming that Vela is gonna be playing. Um, we're gonna we're gonna assume that everybody on the team will be available. Um, but I agree with you. I do, I do think that they need to add a little bit more depth because we also didn't see Adrian Perez. I don't believe he played a single game in that most backers tournament um, because I think he had his injury. I do like having Bradley Wright Phillips if Carlos Vela is starting, him coming off the bench. And I can see him come, come in for potentially Brian, Brian Rodriguez or Brian Rodriguez playing and you can have Rossi, Vela, and BWP play up there. That is a very, very scary attacking three right there. And I would not be surprised if we saw that if, if Carlos Vela does play. Um, I also want to talk about, um, obviously, Bradley Wright Phillips, his performance in MLS back tournament, but also uh, Diego Rossi and how he stepped up in the tournament. Um, he, he ended up winning uh, Ward. He also won the Young Player of the Tournament Award. Yeah, player, yeah. He also and, won the Golden Boot. Yeah, and 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 him just being stepping up for LAFC, and obviously he scored four goals against LA Galaxy, and the way he's been performing, I don't see him obviously being with LAFC after this year because his value has just shot up. But I love the way how LAFC has groomed these players. Like before, before LAFC. I did not know of Diego Rossi. I did not know of Eduardo Suesta. And it just credit goes to LAFC and Bob Rally of how they developed these players, brought them over from, you know, South America and being able to groom them here. And now it looks like potentially LAFC is going to be a, a, a route for players in South America to go from South America to, to LAFC and then from LAFC to potentially go to Europe. That's where I see. That's where I see LAFC is starting to do. Even with their with the newest uh, signing with the uh, 18 year old uh, Muhammad. Apologize if I uh, uh, torture his last name. Tor Tor I don't know how to say his last name. Who they just picked? Tor who they picked up off the MLS waiver. You start to see how they're picking up this young talent and starting to groom them. And a lot of credit goes to them. Obviously, one thing I will say it was very disappointing on the way they finished the tournament. Uh, the, how they lost to Orlando City, and I just felt like they just they 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 just gassed themselves, and you know having a having a corner kick scored on you in the last minute, brutal brutal way to 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 win or to I mean to lose. I think they just got to you know those final minutes or those knockout games. It's, it's been tough for them this last season, but I will give them credit on how they've groomed these players so far. Well, I, I think the Orlando City game is going to be an important game for LAFC going forward because Oscar Perea, the Orlando coach, um, attacked LAFC. They dominated number of shots, number of corners, a possession. They played an LAFC-style game against LAFC, and yes, the score was 1-1, uh, but they really took it to LAFC. Most teams lay back, and, and, and they don't try to play against LAFC on the front foot. These guys did, and and Jao Mourinho, after the game, the guy who scored the, the tying goal in the 90th minute, said, we knew that they were wide open uh, on corner kicks. We knew we could score on a corner kick, and we knew if we went to the far post, there would be a hole there. So 
Orlando City exposed a lot of weaknesses that people probably didn't know that LAFC had. I would assume that that's going to be the blueprint uh, for quality teams to play against LAFC in the future. And it'll be really interesting in this next phase to see Seattle, a team that has a lot of tools like Orlando, to see they do the same thing. They have had a lot of success. That's another team that's had a lot of success with LAFC. You're right about Diego Rossi, and one of the things Bob Bradley told me in response to Deal, whether they would try to replace Deal with somebody, is he said, we were always looking for a way to make our team better, not just for now, but for the future. He said that, and two days later, they go out and sign Traore, who's an 18-year-old center back. So, obviously, trying to build for the future. Um, I do think the writing's on the wall. Diego Rossi is not going to start the next season with this team, I don't I don't believe. So, they mm-hmm. need to get a a, a – another winger they need to get another forward a quality uh player and so i would assume that that's where they're going to turn their attention but you know lafc has some things they need to address that were exposed in that tournament again orlando city exposed it but they haven't replaced Stephen better right back yet and they've given up a ton of goals yeah. this season they're one of they have one of the worst defenses in the league i'm not really sold on kenneth vermeer as a starting goalkeeper the right back situation uh, is is really, really bad. Uh, Tristan Blackman, I don't think, is the answer there. I know they want to get Andy Nahar on the field, but he's not ready to play yet. Um, and if they went mm-hmm. into the season thinking, we're going to replace Steven Bettisor with with uh, Andy Nahar, who they had in camp in, in February, that's turned out to be a huge miscalculation as well, because now, uh, thanks to the pandemic, they had four months off, and Andy Nahar is still not ready to play. Um so they have some uh, issues they need to address on the back line as well. Yeah, and I think with them, obviously, what I see is having Andy Nahar and Diego Palacios on the flanks because you see the speed. Um, Diego Palacios, what he's able to pr- produce and have crosses come in is very – it's great. I just didn't see when Tristan Blackman, he was playing on the right side, he didn't see the same quality of uh, – of crosses come in, I'm not saying that Tristan Blackman can't do it, but I, yeah, and I think if they're able to get Andy Nahar healthy, we don't know. But if, like you said, what you lead to, they that may be a miss on LAFC. Sometimes, you know, they they have taken risk on certain players that are you know that are coming from injuries um, and certain things. That, who's the Salvadoran forward? I, I can't forget. I can't remember his name. Um, he only played a couple games with them last season, but they let him go. Um, I can't think, but. That's what LAFC is willing to pick up players kind of on the cheap and trying to also also try to get these younger players and produce them and develop them. I agree with you on the back line. There's certain things. And even on that goal on Orlando City, uh, I looked at the replay a couple of times and, you know, Jao Moutinho was by himself. But you did have George who was there. I think there was just some miscommunication on who they should have been marked. But – one thing that I see from Orlando City is they handled LAFC's pressure. Their, their, their pressure did not phase. Uh, LAFC's pressure did not phase Orlando City. And if you're able to play well from the back against LAFC and just pass the ball around, for me, I, I, I watching that game, and I was watching this game live, and I'm like, Whoa. I know LAFC likes to press, but when a team is so dominant with the ball and is able to handle the pressure, does it really make sense to keep pressuring them up top or just wait. And I feel like maybe, I don't know this to be true, but maybe uh, Bradley Wright Phillips gassed out because of that. Obviously, he didn't finish the game. 
I feel like if they didn't pre- – there's, there, there's going to be certain teams that if you press them, like potentially like the Galaxy, if you press them, they're going to make mistakes and, and, you know, you're able to get them on the counter and certain things like that. But there's going to be other teams in the MLS that can handle the, the, the LAFC pressure. And then I feel like you would have – you may have to adjust. And I, and we didn't really see that in the tournament with Orlando City um, adjusting to that high pressure that LAFC loves to do and is known for. I think you may- Mentioned that that's one of the that's one of the things. That if, if you can handle LFC's pressure and you can handle up up top and you can dominate the ball and the midfield and the back, you're gonna do pretty. You're you're gonna do all right against LAFC with that pressure. Well, one of the things to think when you think about LAFC's back line. Remember, Walker Zimmerman's gone. He was a he was a real solid mm-hmm. guy back there. He got traded to Nashville. We're missing Stephen Bettisor. Uh, he had the most starts of any uh, backline player in LAFC's first two seasons. Uh, and he plays that right. Uh, he plays on the right side. Um, the way LAFC plays with their attacking style, and Bob Bradley has been very open about this, you have to go forward. If you're one of the outside backs like like Bettisor, you have to play going forward, but you have to have your head on a swivel because you have to watch the territory behind you. And LAFC's gotten beaten a lot this year on yep. attacks, and they can't yep. allow it to happen. And so Tristan Blackman's a very young player, and he'll learn and he'll get better. But Stephen Bettisor was a, you know, a veteran back there, Walker Zimmerman, you know, a national team player. These were players that knew how to knew how far they could go forward without getting beat going the other way. I, I just don't see that with LAFC. Uh, remember, they gave up 37 goals last year. That was lowest in the league. For all the goals they scored, 85, that tied the league record. They only gave up 37. So uh, they were able to play on both sides of the ball. Um, this defense, for all of the stuff that's happened up front with Carlos Diego Rossi and their chemistry, Remember, this team, when it started, Walker Zimmerman was paired with Laurent Simon. He was the captain. He's gone. Bettisor was on the right mm-hmm. side. He's gone. Jordan Harvey now uh, is the oldest player on the team, um, oldest outfield player. He uh, is now sort of in a substitute role, a bench role. He was one of the starters. So the defense really has been a work in progress. The one thing that, as you mentioned earlier, that LAFC has done really well is – take players uh, who maybe didn't fit in at other places or player people didn't see their value, kind of a money ball approach. Mark Anthony K mm-hmm. came off a USL team, um, you know, and, yeah. and looking like he's an all-star. Um, you had Latif Blessing. People in Kansas City didn't realize what they had with him, how good he is. Here's a guy that plays Incredible. forward, plays on the outside back. Uh, he can do anything, and his work rate is incredible. So I have confidence that LFC is going to figure this out. But if until they do, you know, uh, teams are going to really expose that back line, and I think they're going to continue to give up a lot of goals. Bob Bradley said that's something you have to live with. If you play, if you play going to forward aggressively, people are going to beat you the other way. But they really have to start limiting that because it's just it's just been too much. Yeah, and especially a lot of those goals. I mean, they like you meant they scored a lot, but they they also got scored on. Um, and to me, obviously, that's obviously on the speed in the back end. I mean, I, I know Diego Palacios has that speed. Potentially, Andanahar has that speed. Um, potentially, Tristan Blackman can be a player that they can uh, 100% rely on. But these are the players that they have right now, and these are the players that they understand that they're going to have to rely on uh, for this season unless they just do something on the transfer market and try to pick up a bigger name player, but it looks like they're going young and developing this talent to play the type of style they want. I think sometimes uh, when we, ask, I recall when we asked Bob Bradley, he's like, "You guys are focusing so much on the defense. 
the, the defense set up the or, or was the reason why we're getting scored. But he said it was a team thing. And he was like, there was a reason because not everybody didn't get back. It wasn't just on the defense. It was on the team. And that that was very interesting uh, that I kind of caught. And then, you know, just kind of saying it was more of a team effort thing. It wasn't all the defense fault for the reason for that. And, you know, we have seen at times, you know, some of the midfield dudes that I do feel like they are going to figure this out and get, get there. But are they going to be – I think one of their Achilles heels for LAFC the last two years is winning in crucial games, winning in knockout games obviously you know we saw what happened last year in the playoffs then ended up losing to Seattle Sanders and this and MLS uh MLS is back to you kind of got a similar feeling uh to that because you I mean they were they were expected they were there you know they were picked to be one of the finalists and they came up very short and I know uh John Thornton he came out and he said you know he was he was uh you want to quote him for a word but I know he said yeah, he used the word on how because when you have so much talent and you kind of come up short, that I feel like that definitely hurts, and you want to get back to the drawing board. Obviously, the goals for LAFC this season, I'm assuming, is going to be MLS Cup for Bucks. You know, what I'm saying that is what they're going for, and that's what I that that's what this team is built for. Because I feel like uh, Rossi and Atuesta is not going to be here next season. And if you want a near three, and you can win it in year three, I'm not trying to say that put the full pressure. They have the pieces. I think it's just making all those pieces come together and completely dominate uh, opponents. Well, think back of the last three, you know, two plus seasons. Um, this is a team that was built to win trophies. You're right. Um, so they tied the MLS record for most goals last season. Uh, they gave up the fewest goals in the league. They set the single season record for points, best regular season in MLS history. They had the leading goal scorer in MLS history in Carlos Vela, the league MVP. They had coach of the year in Bob Bradley. What did they win? They won the Supporters' Shield. That's their only trophy they've won now in two-plus seasons. They were eliminated uh, in the knockout stages in the last two U.S. Open Cups. There will be no U.S. Open Cup this year. They got knocked out in the uh, quarterfinals of the MLS's back tournament. Um, you know, they've only lost two in two-plus two seasons. They've only lost two games at home. They've played 36 games at home, and they've lost two. You know they've lost two out of three playoff games at home. So you lose twice in the regular season in two plus seasons. You play three playoff games, you lose two of them at home. Um, you know there's some. You're right. There's something about big games, um, and there are teams that are built for regular season success that do very well in the regular season. Um, you know, if this were the Premier League, the Galaxy would be uh, the Premier League, cha- or LAFC would be the Premier League champions because they had the best record last year. It's not. The way things are set up here, there's a playoff. And you look at some of the teams that wind up going far in the MLS playoffs, and they're teams that finish third, fourth, and fifth in the standings. Um, I-, I don't know why that is, whether they get hot at the right time, whether they make midseason changes that changes their team. Uh, that certainly happened with uh, Seattle, uh, you know, in, in 2016 whether that's the thing or, or whether teams just play. There are certain teams that get up for big games, um, and LAFC has not been able to do that. But I do think that's the one huge black mark on this team, as good as it is. And I don't think there's really any question it's the best team in MLS, uh, you know, pound for pound. Can't win that big game. And as I talked to Bruce Arena about this last year when LAFC and, and England played, um, and I asked him about whether LAFC was the best team in the league. You can't even have that conversation until you win a trophy. You can win all the regular season games you want, but it doesn't mm. do anything. And that's yeah. you know, and that's the next step LAFC has to take. It needs to win a trophy. And this yeah. may not and be I, the year to do that, by the way. 
this may not be the year to do that. This may be the year, as you said, they're going to lose some players and they need to start thinking ahead. The reason I say that is this is always – they're going to play three regular season games and it's going to be a single elimination playoff. It's a little bit different from last year. Everything's going to be rushed. Um, as Daniel Stara said earlier this year, this season will always have behind it. No matter what you do this year, people will look back and say, well, wasn't that 2020? Wasn't that the COVID year? So everything is skewed a little bit. Um, certainly – Well, uh, let, me, let, me just, let, me, let me just comment on that. You said Daniel Stara said that. I, in my opinion, I think this is one of the most things you have to overcome. Granted, no, no, no disrespect to Daniel Sirs, but he's out right now. The Galaxy have not played it as well, so I'm not surprised they would say that. But at the same time, I think a lot of teams have to overcome certain things. You know, the COVID, the injuries. To me, I think it, the team who wins this, the cup and everything, with everything that they have to go through, um, it's. I don't know if there should be an asterisk because if every team has to deal with the same thing, no one is. I mean, if, if you know, like Vela didn't go didn't go to the MLS back tournament, like if they if they won the MLS back tournament, do you think people would be like, oh yeah, they're, they're going to get an asterisk? You'd probably be like, no, Vela didn't win. They they won and everything. You know what I'm saying? And I kind of feel like the same thing with this uh, with, with MLS back. If if you going if every team is going through the same scenarios and the same things. I don't think there should be an asterisk unless, like, obviously we saw what happened with Nashville and, and, um, and FC Dallas. They won every play, but they're, they're making up those games. To me, I think if every team is going through through the same obstacles and the same things, I don't know how, how much of an asterisk you can put on it. You, you get what I'm saying? Because they, yeah. they in, in a sense, they're all going through the same thing. A, a couple of things. I mean – 23 games versus 34 games, there's a difference. Um, you know, playing a season in three or four months over play, uh, you know, versus playing over a whole season, the, the uh, ability to avoid injuries over nine months is different than trying to avoid injuries over four or five months. The, the roster depth, mm-hmm. you know, you have a roster set for nine or ten months, and now all of a sudden you have to play your whole season in three or four months. It, all, that, all that stuff changes. So it, this season, you can't. This this will be the fewest number of games uh, a team has played in MLS history. Twenty three games is the shortest season in MLS history, uh, even with the MLS's back tournament. Um, but I was talking to a guy, uh, uh, Gavin Benjafield, who is a performance coach with LAFC. He was telling me before the Orlando tournament that he was looking for some surprises, and I think he's right. Orlando City was a surprise. He said he thought the teams that were going to do well were not necessarily the most talented teams, but to your point. They were the teams that were able to put aside all the distractions. He said teams that came in and said, we're not thinking about COVID. We're not thinking about the bubble. We're not thinking about being away from our families. We are only focused on football. Those were the teams that were going to do well. And I think you saw San Jose, a team that no one thought would go very far. Mm-hmm. did very well. Yeah. Columbus did very well. Orlando City did very well. Minnesota. Teams that, yeah, teams that – Minnesota, teams that were supposed to do well. Atlanta, three and out. Um, you know, the Galaxy, yeah. three and out. Teams that people thought might do better didn't do well because of a number of factors, but probably biggest is they couldn't handle the unique circumstances. So you're right in the sense that the, everyone has the same challenges and the teams that overcome those challenges are going to win. I'm just not sure the best 
team wins. Then maybe the team with the most character, maybe the team with the best coaching, maybe the, the most disciplined teams. I'd certainly put LAFC there in the discipline category. But it's it kind of feels like the Florida Marlins winning the World Series. You know, everything is going to break their way. <laughs> Were the Florida Marlins really the best team in twenty in two thousand three? No, they weren't. But they won the World Series, and they always get to hold that trophy. So that's but, kind but, of what I, exactly. Obviously, let me just add on to that. But if you just got to be the, I mean, the, the Florida Marlins were the best team that year, you know, like, or, or the Portland Timbers were the best team during the summer. I mean, yeah. during the, the MLS's back tournament because they won. Orlando City was the second best team because they lost to them. And But you can't, like, I feel, to me, it's like you can't say that, you know, if you're a good team, if you're a great team or you're a bad, if you're a bad team, you're a bad team, whether you're in the bubble or you're not in the bubble. Great teams can focus and narrow down and focus on what they need to do. Bad teams, whether they're in a bubble or in a pandemic, they're going to be bad teams no matter what. And I think this, the MLS back tournament, you saw great stories like Orlando City, like the Cinderella story. I love that because that gave so much belief in a team that a lot of people kind of wrote off and they're like, you're not going to make it out of the group stage. And they beat LAFC. They beat, I think it was in Minnesota. They ended up going to the final, and you see that. And I think that's what the that's what the beauty of sports is when you have underdogs, or, you know, unknown stories. Obviously, you have the stacked teams like LAFC, Seattle Sounders, but it doesn't necessarily come down to on paper. It comes down to on the field and what they're, how they're able to produce with all the circumstances going around with them. Yes and no. I mean, Orlando City is a team that never made the playoffs. This, I think, this MLS is back tournament. And their new coach, this has changed the direction of this franchise. I think they have a lot of confidence mm-hmm. now, and I think they're going to be a very, very good team going forward. Uh, they are right now, but they didn't have that confidence. Now they do. But I do think when you look at this regular season, okay, you're playing without fans. That makes a big difference. Going into an opposing uh, environment like like StubHub Center or Bank of California with those opposing fans, going into Portland and playing in front of those fans in Portland – that's difficult to do. Orlando City is not going to have to make yeah. a 3,000-mile road trip to, to San Jose. They're not going to have to go across country. Neither are the teams on the West Coast. So this is a different season. No fans. No playing in a hostile foreign environment. That's one thing. No long road trips. No dealing. You know, many teams won't have to deal with the mm-hmm. heat and humidity of Houston and, and Dallas. Yes, they may have a good team, and they will win a MLS Cup based on a tournament in which many things are equal. But just take a look at at Columbus's schedule um, versus what the Galaxy has to face. And, you know, if the Galaxy played Columbus's schedule, they'd probably win a lot more games. If Columbus had to come here and play LAFC twice in Seattle and San Jose and Portland, they might not do as well. So I'm just saying there's an unbalanced schedule. There's not the kind of travel. It's not the crucible that teams have had to deal with in the past. Okay, let me ask you this then, so we can move on. So, if LAFC win the MLS Cup this year, you don't, you don't, you don't, do you think there's going to be an asterisk, and you don't think they really won it then? No, I think they won the tournament, but I just don't think that it stacks up to last season. For example, it's not a 34 game okay. season. Not the travel. There's not the opposing fans. Um, they won the tournament, and here's the tournament the way it's constructed. I mean, I think an even better example to make the point is baseball. You know, 162 game season versus 60. Um, mm-hmm. you know, playing seven inning double headers, starting extra innings with a runner on second base. Um, all those things, you can't say the team that wins this World Series is equal to the team that won the last World Series. 
I just yeah, yeah, no. If you, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. If you're comparing by year by year, no. But I, all I'm, my point is like, if every team has to go through the same circumstances, and that's what they have to go through. And obviously, if you compare it by year, then yeah, obviously, you know, playing sixty games in baseball opposed to one sixty, big change, obviously. But I, I get what you're saying, and I agree. But I also would say that whoever wins this tournament comes out of top is still one. I don't think there's no asterisks because of everything that I've had to deal with. Um, moving on, obviously, to, to this game, LAFC versus LA Galaxy. Uh, how heavily favored do you have if Chicharito plays, if John Dos Santos plays, how how much of a favorite is LAFC to you? Well, I think it, or I LA think Galaxy. LA, yeah, I think well, LAFC has got to be the favorite just coming off the last result. You know, and and they've won the last two in you know with the playoffs. They've won the last two El Traficos. Um, I don't think it's going to be six to two, especially if both Chicharito and and mm-hmm. and Jonah plays. A lot of people focusing on Chicharito because he's the the glamour boy, the the big scorer, and all that. Um, I mean, make no mistake, uh, Jonathan Dos Santos is what makes the Galaxy work. He's the guy that they need back. Mm-hmm. They could have Chicharito back, and it may not make that much of a difference. Getting Jonathan back will make the team uh, uh, much better. And he's going to be uh, – fitness may be a little bit of a problem, but he's going to definitely be rested um, and, uh, you know, hopefully ready to play. He's only played 45 minutes this season. Um, I don't think it's going to be 6-2, to two, but I think LAFC is probably deserves to be heavily favored. It'll be interesting to see how they work their forward line uh, when – if. If Carlos is able to play, if Bella is able to play, what is what happens with Bradley Wright Phillips? I mean, he's the hot hand right now. He and Diego Rossi, you got to get the ball to those two guys. It, it's it'll be. I'm going to really want to watch to see what LAFC does because Carlos Bella is your guy, but Diego Rossi is the league's leading scorer right now. He's really hot. Bradley Wright Phillips is playing really well. There's only one ball, you know, and they all have to share mm-hmm. it. So, uh, you know, what's going to be the focus of that scoring attack? You would think it would be Carlos Bella. But maybe Vela's going to step back and say, hey, you guys did so well in Florida. Let's see uh, if this thing has some staying power. Let's see if you can do it again. Yeah, I think they're just going to be even more more explosive um, with LAFC. I'm not, to me, I'm not worried about LAFC. I know what to expect, and I think they're going to be even better with Vela being back, uh, just distributing the ball up, up top better to them. To me, I'm more interested on uh, the LA Galaxy. Um, how well is Chicharito going to do? How well Pavone's going to play, uh, how well Jonah Dos Santos is going to play, and also what type of LA Galaxy we're going to see. Are we going to see a United uh, team? Are we going to see a team that comes out the gate? Like when we saw the against uh, MLS's back, they, I believe they were the first team to score. They were up on LAFC 1 1 0. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. They were up uh, for, in the first half. They played a better first half than LAFC, but then the second half. Uh, LA, that's when they ended up losing. And I'm also interested to see uh, Guillermo Barros body language. If they end up losing this game or, you know, if they were to pull a tie, um, these are two teams that obviously have some history with each other. They got Carlos Vela and, uh, you know, Chicharito, um, you know, two Mexican stars there. And I wanna, I'm excited to see this battle between these two players. And I'm, I'm hoping it's not a, another 62 blowout. I think it's very important for the city to have two top teams, two teams that perform in. Obviously, LA Galaxy is having some struggles. I would like to, I would like LA Galaxy to potentially, you know, tie or potentially win this just to, just to, not because of, uh, 
I want them, but I think it just adds more to the rivalry. If LAFC, obviously the last game in the playoff, they beat them 5-3, and this time they beat them 6-2. If they keep beating and pounding them, I know LAFC fans are gonna, are, would like that, but it's not going to be so much of a rivalry. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I think one player that who's really maybe a little bit on the hot seat for this game is Sebastian Legette. I thought he had some good moments mm. in Orlando, but you know he seemed to be getting a lot of criticism from fans. He seemed to be the the guy a lot of fans were focusing on. I, I'm not so sure that it's necessarily his fault. I don't think that Guillermo Barrascolo is putting him in a position to uh, succeed. I don't think he's allowing him to play the best soccer that he can play. What I would do is put Pavone on the left side and have Sebastian Legette out on the right wing, which is the position Gonzalez will play when he gets here, and just have him be the guy to try to feed the ball in. Um, instead, they see that, you know, at one point they looked like they were playing him sort of as a withdrawn forward when Chicharito wasn't there. Uh, he was a distributor. He was supposed to be Jonah at one point. It seems like they, they're asking Sebastian to do a lot of different things. If Jonah comes back and he becomes that, that sort of midfield motor, the guy that brings the ball up, I think you push Sebastian Legette way out to the right side and balance that front rather than trying to put him yep. in a position where he's not going to succeed. Yeah, I know. I completely agree with you. Uh, Sebastian Legette, I feel like he was he was asked to do something he's not. You know, he's not. I'm saying that he's not capable, but that's not, I think, what he, what he is to that team. And it's hard to replicate what Jonah DeCantos does for that team. He's obviously the most important piece to know. Um, but yeah, it will be interesting to see how how everything changes going to another Quick thing, just to just to um, just to wrap this up. Any any uh, what's your what's your score prediction for this match? Oh, oh, you're gonna put me on the spot. I'm gonna go with four to one. Four to one. Wow. Yeah. Four to one for LAST. Okay. I want to say three to one. I was, but I was, I'm, I'm, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, I think it's gonna be like a three goal difference. So I think either three to one or five to two. I think okay. you're gonna see a lot of goals. You always, you always see a lot of goals in this game. So I think I think it's gonna be a high score, another high scoring game. But well, I, I um, hope I, I hope I see you there in person. Yeah, yeah, I know it's gonna be interesting to to where they're gonna have us. I wonder if they're gonna have us in the stands or you know uh, or wherever you know once if we're able to get approved for the game. Uh, I haven't heard back just yet, but yeah, I wonder where they're going to have us. Like, you know, it's going to be very, very interesting to see uh, an empty stadium. Yes, it'll be noisy though. I know that they have the LAFC has some plans to make the stadium noisy. That there'll be no people in the stands, but the the sound in the stadium will 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 sound just like it is when the place is rocking and full. So it'll be interesting to see how they make that work. But that's their plans. It's going to be a very loud environment. Oh, I like that. All, all the home field vanish. They, they, they're going to ask for Well, Kevin, that's it. Thank you uh, for joining me once again. Uh, great, another great podcast here uh, with you. Um, obviously, guys, follow him. Uh, if you're not following him already, his, his name, uh, Twitter name, username is at kbaxter11. Obviously, you guys can follow me on Twitter as well, at GioGarciaLA. Uh, that's going to wrap things up. Kevin, thank you once again for being on the show. Guys, catch you guys next time. Yeah.